Good morning and welcome to the podcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. My name is Bill Vanderbush. Have you ever been to the ocean? I'm talking about the sound, the smell, the the taste of the salt in the air, the never-ending roar of wave crashing upon wave. It's exhilarating and relaxing all at the same time. Incredibly exciting, uh, threatening, dangerous, peaceful. It encompasses every emotion known to man, power, love. You see couples going for long walks on the beach. You see people getting exercise as they run through the sand. You see children creating on the beach as they play. You see people with with surfboards riding the waves, careening back and forth, carving through the water and having an incredibly wonderful time. You see further down the beach, you see people that are fishing, drawing life out of that water that ultimately sustains their family or as a trophy to hang on their wall. Either way, it's a source of life and joy. Much like the presence of God, the glory of God. That's that's what I want to talk to you about today is the awareness that we have, the presence, the glory of God, the realm of glory. That is the the kingdom of God. You know, the Bible says his kingdom rules over all, and of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. And that doesn't mean that the kingdom is always expanding. The kingdom is everywhere. But the reality is is our awareness of the kingdom is what's expanding. We take our limited perspective and we suddenly surrender it to what God sees and we find ourselves completely undone by the awareness that the kingdom and the glory of God covers everything. The Bible speaks of this embodied in Christ, that in him all things exist and he holds all things together. Isn't that remarkable? It means that there's no place in the entire universe or beyond where he cannot be found. And yet God makes man in his image and likeness, desires to express his love so deeply to us that he refuses to allow us to be completely destroyed by the consequences of our, our own selfishness, forgetting that it is he who's made us and not we ourselves, forgetting that we're here entirely by the will of another, forgetting that we had zero to do with our first birth, we find ourselves in a place of freedom to do pretty much whatever we want with the life that we have, the life that we have been given. And yet, what he invites us into is a surrender to enter by him who is the door into a new and living way. Listen, this isn't exclusive uh, to the point where it it becomes an elite company of people who just happen to find the right way. Now, he is a door with arms that embrace you. He will run to find you. He will travel anywhere to get to you, but he doesn't force you. He doesn't force you to enter in. He's wide enough to where you don't even have to form a line. And he is open to everyone. He's the open door. In Revelation chapter 4, the door standing open to heaven. He is the open door, which Revelation 3 says, no man can shut. Oh my goodness, we put all kinds of barriers in front of the door, don't we? 
And uh, in, in religion, the old covenant, they put a veil between the Holy of Holies and humanity. And when Jesus tore that veil, we continue to keep putting them back up again. And this is what I want to talk to you a little bit about today is, is the glory of God, the awareness of entering into and enjoying the presence of God. And I'm going to liken it to an ocean. Years ago, a dear friend of mine, Ted Decker, wrote a series of books called The Circle. And in The Circle, the analogy and metaphor of, of God was a lake called Elion. And the tagline for the series was, dive deep, drown willingly. As, as if once you entered into that body of water and drew it into your lungs, unlike what would happen in the physical realm here, in that spiritual sense, the character in the book comes alive when he realizes he's in the lake and the lake is in him. He's in the water and the water is in him. He's immersed, soaked, and saturated within that water. That is ultimately now within him. It's a picture of our union with God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a it's a beautiful picture in maybe a way that we as human beings can understand that uh, gives some language and and depth to what Jesus said in John 14, 20, when he said in that day, you'll know I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. So today I want to talk about living in the realm of the glory. The glory is a, a few different words in the scripture. You get the kabod, the weightiness of the glory of God. It's tangible, it's weighty, it protects, it heals, it covers. You have the Shekinah, it's the radiance, the brilliance, the majesty of God, the beauty of God. From one comes wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. From another perspective comes just the enjoyment of gazing and beholding and being transformed in that beholding. David wrote of this when he said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What does he want to do? He wants to embrace the entirety of the glory of God, the Shekinah, the Kabad, the understanding, the wisdom, the Sophia of God. He wants to embrace every part of it and not just learn about God, but be so saturated and immersed that it's like it's like being in the water and the water in you. And you are more alive than ever as you're completely covered and saturated within that presence of the Lord. That's that's what I, I feel like I want to awaken us all to today. Is it a greater awareness of the glory of God, the realm of glory that we're in? Listen, it's in that realm that miracles happen, or what we call miracles are actually normal in that realm. What we call supernatural is natural within that realm. Think of the natural world we live in that has been observed, studied, by science and and determined that there are certain laws in effect. We label certain things, gravity and certain things like that, as a law of nature. But we're the ones that call them laws. Jesus obviously calls them suggestions, perhaps guidelines, but he ignores some of them as if they don't even exist. In the ascension, he ignored the law of gravity altogether. In walking on water, he ignored the, the ability of the surface tension of the water to be able to hold up a body. 
Um, he is the word made flesh. And so as he speaks, he shifts realities, commanding the wind and the waves to be still. When Peter stepped out of the boat and he himself walked on the water, he was actually walking on the word that was just spoken as Jesus invites him to come. The strength of the word is what holds us up, just as it held Peter up on the water. But when we get our eyes off of him, get our eyes onto the circumstances around us, and begin to try to somehow take control of our own life, we find that things tend to go horribly wrong. We want to be in control, but the minute you get in the ocean, I'm telling you, you discover you're not in control. Uh, you are in a, a place of power without the ability to grasp control or even sustain yourself within that environment. It's, it's a place where you are surrendering control to another. So I want you to imagine the presence awareness of the glory of God, our ability to experience and respond to the presence of God just in our everyday life as, as if you are entering the ocean, stepping into the ocean. So imagine with me that the ocean is the presence of God. The depth to which you are willing to be aware of the presence of God is the depth to which you step into it. Some people just like the sound. Some people just get their feet wet. Some people don't mind waiting. Some people want to get in all the way to immerse themselves completely so they're soaked and saturated. But either way, it's simple. This isn't supposed to be difficult. One day, somebody made the observation that getting in the ocean is so important there should really be some sort of ceremony, a ceremony that celebrates the admission of new people into the ocean community. And so rituals were created, and ceremonies were created, and songs were written, and people discovered that certain songs and certain rituals and certain ceremonies made getting into the ocean even more special. And as people would gather at the shore, suddenly the songs and the rituals became themselves a bit of a gateway. And a line formed. Instead of people just running into the ocean, this line formed and they had to wait. And as they waited, certain people gave them entrance into the ocean. Now, now people were guarding the ocean. And they were determining who could enter and who shouldn't enter who needed to do a little more work before they got in. One day, somebody said, you know, we really should build something here, like, like, a, like a little tent that goes over this path. Put a tarp up or something. Other people agreed, and they created something beautiful, bright, and they put it over the path, the common path that everybody now agreed was the way to get into the ocean. Then... Somebody else said that, listen, this path is so, so special. And this ocean is so, it's so important. We can't have just a tent out here. We actually should raise money to build a building. And everybody agreed. So there was a fundraiser. They raised money and they, they began to build a large building. 
uh, to the entrance, the path that went down to the ocean. And they covered that path with this incredible, huge, ornate building. And everybody agreed that it was inspiring and uplifting. And somebody agreed, well, we're going to uh, have this person, they appointed a person to lead everybody as they went down toward the ocean. But now it became a time of gathering to hear about the ocean. Not so much enter the ocean like they used to, but they needed to hear about it, kind of an orientation class. And somebody wrote a book about the meaning of the ocean, how to get in the ocean, what's the best way to move when you're in the ocean. Somebody else read that book and didn't like everything that that person said, so they wrote a book themselves. And they refuted what the first person said. A third person read both books, didn't like either one of them, decided, no, they had the right way and the right perspective. And so they wrote another book. And pretty soon, thousands upon thousands of books about the ocean had been written. The people in the building said, we need to create a library where we can keep all of these books. Another person said, ah, we should probably create a school where we can study the books to find out which one of them is the most correct. And so a school was formed. Oceanologists, they were called. And the oceanologists would gather together and they would listen to lectures about the ocean. It seemed by now that each person that wrote a book about the ocean started a new building project to build a place where those people who agreed with his book could gather and building after building after building was formed until the buildings made a solid row and the ocean was blocked by the buildings. Beautiful as they were, each one had its own group of people in it. And next to them was the libraries that kept the books. And next to them was the schools where people studied and, and more schools were formed around more books. And next thing you know, People just kind of wandered back and forth from building to library to school. And somehow they lost sight of the ocean altogether. Content to learn about the ocean, content to sing songs about the ocean. It never really learned how to swim anymore. They saw pictures of people who had and they heard stories of people who had, but they themselves didn't really seemed to have a desire to get in anymore. It was just enough to know that it was there. Occasionally, you would run into somebody who had actually been hit by a wave once, uh, tumbled over and over in the water, had, had felt the complete joy and laughter of being out of control, swept off of your feet, carried along by the current's and had come back to talk all about it. One day you might get disillusioned and you discover it's not the same way it was. I remember being in the ocean and I'm not 100% sure why nobody else cares to go like we used to. And so you, you leave, and wander away. But then eventually you come back to discover yourself being actually drawn back into the swimming community that you first started in. And you arrive back at your point of origin, you head straight for the path. The path is still there. 
it still leads to the ocean. And in the moment you step into the water, you suddenly find yourself incredibly moved by the devotion, by the sincerity of everybody else around there. The people who built the building, who set up the tents, who wrote the books. You begin to realize these things were not distractions or diversions from swimming. These things were all the sincere efforts of people simply attempting to give some honor, some reverence, some greater understanding and meaning perhaps to a mystery that they couldn't even wrap their minds around. So impacted that they were that they decided to create and the creations themselves maybe to others became distractions, but the creations themselves were an expression of an overflowing sincerity and devotion and love for the life that they had discovered. And you begin to realize, hey, maybe I was way too judgmental of all these buildings, all these libraries, all these writings, all these schools. Maybe instead of getting my eyes on all of those things, I should have just kept getting in the ocean myself. And and then come to that place where you realize there are a lot more swimmers than you thought. That what was created as an object of worship, a creative expression, itself became a distraction to the sound of the waves, the smell of the water, and the life in the ocean. We can carry this analogy even further because as water evaporates up into clouds and the clouds hover over the dry land, what happens? Well, as God has created it, rain that comes from that ocean falls down onto that dry land, reminding us of what is available to us beyond the dry land that we're standing on. And it falls on everyone. The Bible says falls on the just and the unjust alike. It falls on all. Titus 2.11 says the grace of God has appeared to all men. And his grace like rain flows down over us, reminding us, inviting us that there's something more, inviting us to what is beyond our own understanding, to immerse in the glory of God, to know that he is with us, always there, always available, and his sound is the voice of many waters, beckons to us to come, to enter in Jesus by his sacrifice on the cross, by the power of the resurrection, becomes a new and living way where we have access to step into that glorious reality of the realm of his presence. You see, this isn't a story about how we got it wrong with all of our buildings and all of our religious trappings. No, this is a story about how our judgment of everything that man creates ends up distracting us from enjoying the ocean. Now, this is a story about finding the beauty in the expressions, the creation, the devotion, the sincerity of man, but ultimately pointing us to where we all are meant to live, move, and have our being, and that is a conscious awareness of the presence of God, 
to step into the ocean. And there's one thing you need to understand about getting in the ocean, and that is you get wet. I'm not talking about just somebody who puts their feet in or their toes in or just their hands in or splashes it on their face. I'm talking about a full immersion experience where you let the waves crash over you and you discover that you are in Christ as Christ is in you. The ocean never says, no, 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 I'm, I'm running out of wetness. You got to leave some for somebody else. No. And, and the ocean never says, no, it's, it's not your turn. The ocean doesn't just allow you to get slightly damp. No, you get completely wet when you encounter the ocean. And it doesn't matter if you enter alone by yourself in the middle of the night without hope, feeling completely lost and completely unworthy. When you get in the ocean, you get wet. Or you could enter with a crowd of 100,000 people all rushing in at once. You know what? Either way, you get wet. You might enter the ocean for a brief amount of time. Or you might linger there for hours. You know what? Either way, you get wet. You might live on oceanfront property. Or you might have traveled a long way to get there. Doesn't matter how far you come or whether you just took a few steps. Whether you run into it or someone else carries you, either way, when you get in the ocean, you get wet. Hey, there is no such thing as bonus wetness for somebody who comes a long way. There's no such thing as bonus wetness for somebody who enters with the most extravagant means possible. You might be terrified, scared to death or overjoyed and thrilled, either way, you get wet. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much intelligence you have, or how ignorant you might be, how poor you are, how uneducated or educated you are. Either way, when you enter into the ocean, you all get wet. Maybe it's been a while since you've been in the ocean. Maybe it's been a while since you felt the rainfall, the glory of God upon you. Maybe you've lived under the, the creations of man for so long that you've kept yourself dry and free from the experience. You might think, well, the building that I go to to learn about the ocean has been pretty dry for a long time. But you know what I've discovered about man-made structures? doesn't matter how good they're made. Eventually, they all break down and the water finds a way in somehow. But as you enter into that awareness of the presence and the glory of God, a baptism of grace and innocence that washes away all of our unworthiness, we find ourselves just enjoying life in the glory of the Lord and the presence of God. May you hear the voice of your Father say, This is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. It's the same voice that Jesus heard when he stepped into the Jordan River and came out. At his baptism, he hears the Father say, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, in 1 John four seventeen says, As he is, so are we in this world. And if the Father himself loves you just like he loves the Son, then the words you and I hear when we actually immerse in the gospel 
is this is my beloved and I am well pleased with you. It is the pleasure of being called the beloved of God that draws us into an awareness of our authentic identity. It's that intimacy that brings us to an awareness of that identity that we carry as being made in his image and likeness and being his children. We find ourselves adopted and born again into this family. You say, Bill, I want to receive this. I want to know this kind of grace. Receiving the saving grace of Jesus is kind of like this. Romans 5.17 says, For if by the offense of the one, death reigned through the one, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, of the gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So how do we receive? The word receive here is the same passive word that Paul used to describe when he actually received 39 lashes in uh, 2 Corinthians 11.24. Paul says, I received 40 lashes minus one. And he uses the exact same word, received. So Paul simply was made a recipient of blows to his body. So you say, you mean I receive Christ like a boxer receives a blow to the head? (laughs) Well, not exactly. But maybe it's similar in, in this sense. The boxer doesn't go and run toward his opponent and slam his head into the man's glove over and over again. Now, the boxer just stands there and receives from the other boxer. Now, this analogy isn't a great one. So let's just remove the combat language out of it. And, and go with the words of Jesus, who equated this experience to birth. More about that in just a second. Jesus, a little later on, says in John 3, he says, We speak what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. And the word receive here is the same word as in Romans 5.17. But Jesus speaks here of a people rejecting the grace of the wind who will not surrender empty lungs to be filled. We receive Christ like a newborn baby receives life. We find ourselves to be the glad recipients of divine action. When Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, Nicodemus immediately gravitated toward asking about his own effort and action. Jesus responded by saying, being born again is as mysteriously effortless as the wind. In John 3, 8, Jesus says the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. I'm preaching and teaching this verse. It's most often equated to living life in the Spirit, which is valid. But the context of the conversation here is being born again or being born of the Spirit. We receive grace like we receive breath. Every time you feel the gentle breeze or the unstoppable power of the wind, it's a reminder of the grace of Christ. Nicodemus responds with this astonished, how can these things be? As a trained educator in the law, knowing all the human effort the law required, imagine his shock to discover this effortless receiving of the kingdom of God. So how do we embrace it fully? Confession of Christ as Lord is as close as the Bible gets to describing it. To confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. 
and to believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. It's like this, to receive the wind in your lungs only to be exhaled across your vocal cords to form sounds that express the abundance of a surrendered heart. Our heart has no voice without the wind of grace. We can't exhale before we first inhale. By the time we get around to speaking in our heart, we've already received. Think about John 15, 3, where Jesus said, Now you are clean through the words that I have spoken unto you. He spoke from the abundant love of the Father's heart with the same voice that said, Let there be light. That same voice that says the sound of many waters. And may you hear that today. And may you find yourself enveloped in the ocean of his grace as by believing in Jesus, is simply to inhale grace and exhale thank you. Today, I invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, by saying, Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead, and by faith, I receive your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for saving and forgiving me, for filling me with your Holy Spirit. And I pray for each one of you today, that you would step into the ocean of the glory realm of God, where the supernatural becomes natural, where miracles are normal. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. You can write to us at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. Send prayer requests along. We pray for every single one. We want to stand with you. Also, you can support the broadcast by going to BillVanderbush.com and clicking on the Give button or Vanderbush Ministries and clicking on the Give button. Both of them go to the same place. Take care until next time. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.